tender moments, tender moments, with the waves of the angels. This is the Kingless Generation, and it's a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmoodlock. Welcome to another session, another seance with a weeb for the ages, Ivan Morris. We were talking about his mother, his mother, Edita Morris, was uh, a wild aristocrat together with uh, her American Jewish uh, meatpacking heir husband, Ira Morris, right? And they had a, a little chateau in France in a place uh, that has longer names but is often known by uh, as Nail, N-E-S-L-E-S. And they, it's not clear how they escaped Europe in, in the onset of World War II, right? It's not clear, but, you know, the last ships would have been going to South America. They do spend quite a bit of time in South America, right? Uh, and the, a lot of that time, they're actually with the Swedish painter Nils Dardell. And as I said, they have a nice little, happy little polycule, it seems, right? The very prudish uh, second Japanese wife, Nobuko, is, uh, seems to think that Ivan had a deep maternal wound. He, he was wounded for, throughout his life by being abandoned by his mother because, of, because his mother just disappeared. But the fact is that Ivan was visiting them in uh, South America, right? In Guatemala, apparently, one of the places, right? Uh, but they're also in America. They're also in New York. At first, they're in New York. Then they go to the West Coast briefly. And they're around. They're, they're in Hollywood at the time of the Red Purge. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all... Ira and Edita live in a small apartment, 127 57th Street in New York, right? And this belonged to Bertolt Brecht, or rather his mistress, Ruth Berlau, who is a Danish actress with common turn connections. And through her, they get to know Brecht, right? Brecht had first fled to the USSR, but among other things, he refused to become a KGB informant, and it didn't work out. So he fled east, like through Vladivostok. He was at sea across the Pacific when Operation Barbarossa started. He stopped in Manila just shortly before the Japanese invasion there. I think he brags about, I bought a set of pajamas, which perhaps means just uh, local clothing, uh, right? Um, so Ruth Berlau, his uh, romantic interest, after failing to find work in Hollywood, was working as a propagandist for the Office of War Information when she borrowed the 57th Street apartment, right? So Edita and Ira, they meet Brecht when he visits Ruth Berlau together with the composer Hans Eisler. So Hans Eisler is one of the three famous Eisler siblings who were founding figures in the Communist Party of Austria. The eldest sister, Ruth, uh, who becomes Ruth Fischer, through marriage. She pursued a militant line with Trotsky's support. She was elected to the Reichstag in 1924, 
but after Lenin's death, she was accused of being a left deviationist, uh, but she was saved by Bukharin, according to her account, right? Then you have uh, Gerhard Eisler. He was the editor of Rote Fahne, the, the Red Flag magazine, in Austria. And uh, then he was ordered to be Moscow's man in the Chinese Communist Party. And there are actually very anti-Mao accounts, very paranoid uh, right-wing accounts of Mao that sort of say, paint him as like the puppet master behind Mao. And he was re relaying through Zhou Enlai all of the Comintern orders and so on. Right, I mean, and there is a, a deep history of different Comintern figures giving different kinds of instructions to the CCP or CPC, whichever you prefer. Uh, and that sometimes the Chinese Communist Party follows this, sometimes they don't, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, right? There's a long history of that, as there is uh, in any country during the Third International when the Comintern is around, yeah. So sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're right. But uh, so, but Gerhardt was loyal to Stalin. Gerhardt is the the newspaper editor, right? Um, Hans then is the third. Hans is a musician, and he's a right performing arts guy, right? So Hans took an interest apparently in politically educating Edita Morris, right? Who's this? You know, she's a socially minded uh, rich lady. Uh, they they held all kinds of, um, you know, their social life in the 1920s was interesting, too. Like, before the war, it, it isn't as political, but, you know, you can see, as I've said, she grew up in the countryside under conditions of really poverty, you know, at times. She experienced real poverty firsthand, and her mother as well was a kind of do-gooder. Of sorts. One thing I didn't mention yet is that one of Edita's early memories is going with her mother to give some charity around Christmas time to different uh, poor workers around Stockholm. And she stopped in one house and said, you know, the lady was like, we don't need your charity. You don't understand us and, and so on. And Edita dramatizes this in her typical way, right? But... Uh, the mother says, no, just to accept these, these cakes and things. Can I just talk to Mr.? Can I talk to the Mr. once, you know? Uh, she said, yeah, you can talk to him. He's hanging right there. She points up and he's hanging from the ceiling. He's hung himself and his tongue was swollen up and sticking out of his mouth like a sausage, Edita remembers. So one of her really early memories, too, is of this kind of irony of being a rich do-gooder or something, right? So, but she was, Hans tries to, you know, politically educate her, and she, by the archive that survives, responded to this. Okay. Um, Nils Dardell, uh, the third member of the Morris Thruple, had descended into alcoholism quite a bit. You know, it's funny, Nobuko's version is that she, she says with a straight face in her autobiographical novel that he jumped into a volcano in South America. I wonder if that's something that someone said sarcastically that she took seriously. You can never quite tell. But he died uh, two days after Brecht left New York. And one of the last things Edita did with him was to tell him about her political awakening, how she dislikes me people, me beings. So at least she's, yeah, she's definitely against individualism, 
right? Even if uh, the most practical thing that she comes out with is a kind of sentimentality or uh, Kulturmensch, kind of upholding uh, cultural refinement or, or something, right? Uh, but, so how did she start her political life? It was by joining the Office of War Information, right? Sister org to the OSS, which is the predecessor to the CIA. And within that, she was in the Writers' Wartime Committee. So um, Ruth Berlau as well, right, working on OWI, Office of War Information, broadcasts with people like Karin Michelis, uh, a Danish writer who received financial help from Agnes Smedley, who was one of Richard Zorga's lovers. Richard Zorga being the spy uh, in Tokyo, the German spy who managed to impersonate a high-ranking Nazi. He passed for a high-ranking Nazi all through uh, the war until quite late in the game, right? Uh, famously had many women in his life. Uh, one of those would have been Agnes Smedley. Uh, so there's a little interesting connection that, um, again, Monica Brau draws for us. I'm drawing on Monica Brau here. So Berlau made one program with Paul Robeson for the Office of War Information, right? I mean, so at this time, yeah, it's a kind of liberal thing, but, um, and, you know, there was an account in Brow of, like, one of the things Edita produced, and it was kind of, you know, it's very kind of neat and tidy, kind of liberal, smiley, happy, slappy, everybody, oh, white workers and black workers were riding together in a Cadillac one time, and I just felt, oh, this is American freedom, this is so different from the fascists, and we've just got such great vibes over here, and we're going to beat them, Right. So, yeah, anti-fascism of a kind, but very much on the on that liberal side of the united front from everything that you can tell the thing. So, Edita and Ira move to Hollywood then in March of 1944 and they meet up with Brecht's circle again. Edita becomes close to Hans Eisler's wife, Louise. So, Hans is the producer guy who had been who had been politically kind of educating her, right? Um Ruth Fisher, meanwhile, turns coats, turns colors, and becomes an anti-communist professor at Harvard, gets a big old job, right? She serves as a silent witness against Gerhardt to HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Committee, right? So um, there's no evidence in the record of HUAC interest in the Morrises. Take that how you will. Gerhardt was tried in July of 1947. He manages to get away and actually flee to the DDR, um, the German Democratic Republic, right, East Germany, where he became the head of the propaganda office. Uh, there's an interesting connection later. I'll try to remember to bring it up again then. Um, podcasting is an oral medium. I often find that I wish that podcasters would repeat themselves more so that I can keep track of all the complicated names and things, right? Well, here's a chance to do that. Uh, the, the lawyer that was defending Gerhardt, his name was Dennis Pritt. He was the lawyer also defending the uh, Kenyan African Union leader, Jomo Kenyatta, who was put on trial and slammed in Anglo media as, quote, Africa's Hitler for leading the resistance to British colonial rule, right? Um, and he was defended unsuccessfully 
right? Even though that lawyer had saved uh, Eisler from extradition to the U.S. And maybe that didn't help Dennis Pritt to uh, win that case either because he, had, he was seen as kind of a subversive figure from then on. So Gerhardt and Louise are being closely watched by the CIA. They're definitely purged from Hollywood and they flee to Europe again in, after the war. And they're in Vienna for a while. And while they're in Vienna, uh, which is still occupied by the Allies, right, they, um, so Edita sends a really interesting letter to Louise, the wife of Gerhardt, right? And the, all the mail was being censored and, and uh, read. And we can see that that letter, this letter has passed through that control, so I'll read from the Google Translate of Brow here. The foundation for a strong friendship had been laid, quote, in Hollywood, New York, Vroslav, and Vienna, unquote. Now Edita hopes to be able to add France and invites to them to nail, where the housekeeper, Madame Sebastien, will do everything she can to ensure that they get uh, all that's nice. Then Edita overflows with enthusiasm after a visit to Budapest, where she believes that the Hungarians walk, quote, with quick steps, straight backs, and cheerfully take part in the new life, unquote. Yeah, so she's positive about the Hungarian, uh, right? And they would, they would, of course, go on to uh, rebel in a kind of uprising that was significantly helped along by Reinhard Galen and the anti-communist uh, forces, right? Uh, and then that's when the Soviet tanks roll in, and that's the origin, famously, of the term tanky, right? The idea of the communist as the crusher of freedom and so on comes from there. But at this point, Edita uh, is clearly supporting that, right? Um, there's no, I don't, didn't see evidence that she ever became super anti-communist or anything. So that's interesting, right? Uh, but thinking about this Hollywood, their, con their Hollywood connection, which again is ambiguous, right? Uh, one of their biggest connections here is certainly the Eislers. So Edita invites them to come to, to Nail, right? Um, and then she continues, and, and I have high hopes for myself, uh, exclamation point. Be sure to tell our mutual friend that I am working over everything where I am, and I will continue all winter to do my part. Tell him I feel I owe him a great debt of gratitude. His mere existence bestows strength. Tell him he can trust me completely now and always, because I risk losing a lot because of the step I have taken. I may not be able to live in your country. I may not be able to publish myself as freely as before, etc., etc., and yet my decision is irrevocable and I trust myself completely. Please greet him warmly and give him my deeply acknowledged gratitude. Well, so what did this mean, you know? This concludes the preview of a premium episode of the Kingless Generation podcast. You can become a member of the Kingless Generation if you head on down to patreon.com, uh, search for us on there, and for a low proletarian price, you get access to the full catalog of premium episodes, it's about half of my output, as well as the Discord server. I hope to see you on there. Thanks for listening.